Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of the Chaos and Shadow podcast. My name is Kyle, and I'm joined here by my co-host, Pagan. How you doing today? I am doing really well. How are you doing? I'm good. This is our second recording for the day. We did our, our little one about our interview with Storm Fairy Wolf earlier. Um, people got mm-hmm. that on Friday. It is now Monday at the time that people are getting this. And we are here to tell you about Chupa Chupas, or as we'll come to know it, Operation Disc. Uh, and there, we'll, we'll translate this for you, too, in a little bit. I'll, I'll pass that to Peggy. Let me TLDR this for the folks at the start. We have a situation today that is going to be a bit lacking on strong evidence that we usually present. There's a language barrier involved and some secrecy from the government. That being said, we will be looking at Operation Disc, a.k.a. Operation Plate, or as I'll poorly pronounce it in Portuguese, Operação Prato. It's been a day since I've listened to the pronunciation online. This operation was an investigation of an ongoing UFO flap in 1977 where people were being attacked by beams of light, which is not something we hear about much in North America, in Canada. These places typically have abduction stories, cattle mutilations, and sightings, but not the violence that we see here. The reason we brought this whole thing about is because uh, as we were doing our Skinwalker research— I was listening to last podcast on the left. They brought the idea of Chupa Chupas up. Before we get into it, by the way, a little definition that's going to help us out. Chupa Chupas means sucker, sucker. Because these UFOs, Pagan, apparently were sucking the blood from people. Yes. They were sucking the blood like vampires. That's so weird. How do you even remotely suck the blood from people? Like... I've been binging my Stargate here on the side. So are we talking like <laughs> Asgard beaming techno? Like I'm, I, I, we're going into this again lighthearted because it's, it's weird. It's really, really weird. And it's all in Portuguese. So there's a little bit of a, a translation trouble uh, here and there. Although Google Translate does pretty well. Some MUFON folks brought or, or translated documents over for us, which is nice. They don't have a complete report either. Um, so out of like a 500 page report, I think they only have like a hundred and some mm-hmm. just a, just a heads up to everyone getting into this. It's like we said, going to be a little bit lighter on the facts this week and a little bit more on the strange. So with that being said, yeah. Pagan, should we dive into Chupa Chupas? Let's dive into the Chupa Chupas. Okie doke. Well, our investigation starts with these UFOs that harm back in 1977 to 1978 in Brazil in an area called Para, where they had a UFO flap that went on uh, actually longer than the investigation did. I, I believe the investigation only lasted about four months in this case, but we're looking at the Brazilian Air Force getting really involved because mayors in these towns petition them to come and investigate what was going on. A lot of folks reported getting harmed. We we actually have testimony from a doctor in here that treated upwards of 40 people at the time who had burns, who had puncture marks, and all kinds of other wounds. 
I, mm-hmm. I think the closest we get to that up here in the north is is what? Our cattle mutilations, right? We, we hear similar yeah. things. We do hear a lot of those things in cattle mutilations and all that. We've, As far as I know, I don't believe there's any attacks like this when it comes to humans in North America. Yeah, not with the same things, right? Because not with the same violent things, no. Let's read this little quote here. It says, in total, 400 people were said to have been hit by lights that, according to testimonies, sucked their blood. In one of the official documents, Dr. Willard Sesum, who was 24 at the time and attended to most of the patients, says that the wounded had parisis, or partial body numbness, headaches, dizziness, generalized tremors, and first-degree burns, in addition to those puncture marks. That's a lot. That's what I was going to say. That's a lot. That's a lot. That I, I'm just still sitting here stunned after, you know, even compiling this evidence just because of how dangerous this sort of thing is and why we haven't seen these reports in North America. I, I'm, we're bringing this forward because we're actually asking our audience, we're asking folks at large, if you have information on this stuff, we want to know more. We're going to give you what we got today, but it's hard. Uh, these documents were actually shown, so the documents collected by the the Brazilian Air Force in, I think it was 2005, were showed to a bunch of ufologists from Brazil. And in this (laughs) May 20th, 2005 expose all, they got to look through parts of this 500-page report. They got to see some footage, photos, sketches, that they spent, again, four-ish months collecting But just the massive amount of documentation here lends a lot of credibility to it, right? Like, this is not something they shied away from. It really does bring a lot of credibility to it. And, you know, you figure there's 400 people approximately that got hit and probably even hundreds more that maybe saw these UFOs that didn't just get hit. It's a lot of people to really take in and say, huh, okay, I'm starting to think this may have been a legit case. Not only the fact that it's got a 500-page document, but there's so many witnesses and so many victims. And in that regard, it really does kind of bring in the question of why are there not more people talking about this case? Why is it just kind of localized to Brazil? Obviously, MUFON got involved, but they didn't really seem to make as big of a deal about it in the U.S., which is interesting to me. I would agree. And again, for those that have been longtime listeners to our podcast, uh, you, you've seen the investigative depths we typically go to. We are the type of people that like to track back uh, birth and death certificates where possible. And again, I just am caveating and saying this episode lacks that fine grain because mm-hmm. the MUFON document that guides most of this research today it was released as part of a MUFON, then a uh, couple with Black, uh, it was a Black Vault or something like that. Yeah, MUFON Black Vault. So they did this like thing where they released some of these documents, got them published from MUFON's archives to the internet. It just, it lacks firsthand evidence within the MUFON account. Within this MUFON document, they say, hey, you know, we have all these pages, but then they only show you like an example of a page. So we're putting some faith in MUFON to be reporting this correct. Where the truth lies 
seems to be, you know, backed up in more bureaucratic crap, if you will. It seems to be like these documents are stuck. With that being said, these investigators who post this say they got their hands on documents that were copies of copies of copies of copies, making them at times actually hard to read. Official BAF, Brazilian Air Force, documents released through leaks, actually, go figure, photocopied, photocopied, photocopied. I'm just throwing it out there that the, the, the um, what do they call that? The, the, that the evidence may be a little contaminated. It wasn't handed off, yeah. ideally. There's not a chain of uh, command when it comes to that evidence right there. So, And especially if it's coming through leaks, then it, you really... Obviously, this is a dangerous case that has kind of hit the world. I would presume that probably the Brit- or British... I'm sorry. No, I I'm did doing it, this it to Pagan now. I broke your brain. I'm sorry. <laughs> Brazilian government did not want to uh, release this because obviously people got hurt. Uh, they mm-hmm. didn't want to cause an international crisis, which is probably what would have happened if they released it to the public. So they probably kept it very hush-hush for those reasons. But in that regard, we really do have to say, okay, this was in 2005. We're now in 2021. I'm pretty sure that the since all of the other UFO docs are starting to get released, these should also be released. I don't even know if they're scheduled to be released. Not I that I have seen. I I have not seen anything about them being set up to be released, but there is something on that. I'm going to jump down on our notes here just to talk for a second that this story today has actually set a precedent or began to within Brazil due to the high volume of sightings of UFOs, of crafts in general. They've had even more down there where pilots have tried to intercept crafts, all kinds of things. That has set a precedent where the Brazilian Air Force in 2010 put out new guidelines as to how pilots should actually report any encounters and how they handle UFOs when on intercept. It made that much of a stink, if you will. You know, it actually changed the wheels of bureaucracy. It was that much of a a, a terror, I guess. I mean, that's really interesting, though, because I really kind of now want to like sit down with these pilots and go, tell me everything. What happened? Did you get hurt? (laughs) Tell me everything. And I'm not saying get hurt in a a positive manner. Obviously, we don't want these people to be hurt. But, you know, 400 people got attacked. So are these pilots also getting attacked? You you hear about stuff like this happening where, you know, pilots start to feel really funny when they come in contact with stuff. So in that regard, is something happening with these pilots that are coming in contact with these UFOs? Are they trying to bring them down? Are they trying to, you know, stop them from actually hurting any more of the Brazilian people? There's a lot of questions that will probably never get answered. And that's kind of sad because I feel like, you know, people who are interested in the UFO, the ufology of all of it really would like to know these questions and have them answered. So when I were talking, Pagan, we discussed this idea of UFOs in Brazil, much more dangerous. But this Chupa Chupa incident is hardly the beginning of this or the end, I should say. It's not the first time the Brazilian government has been open about UFOs either. One of the most publicized events, again, from this MUFON article, states that on May 19th of 1986, so roughly 10, 11 years after the investigation of the Chupa Chupas, 21, (laughs) 21 UFOs were tracked on radar, crisscrossing the skies over much of Brazil, six fighter jets 
armed with missiles were scrambled from a base near uh, Rio de Janeiro and actually for several hours chased them across the sky, describing them, go figure pagan, as balls of light. Which sounds exactly like, (laughs) yeah, we got Skinwalker with lights. We've got modern pilots talking about lights. We've got all of this reported. So when you hear more balls of light zipping across the sky, it doesn't surprise me much. Now, four days after that happened, the government actually opened up uh, in a national televised press conference, discussed uh, letting or actually let the pilots tell the country what they'd seen of all things. So giving people that unprecedented access to the folks that were up there, uh, one of the pilots saying, I watched, quote, I watched the lights in front and on each side of my radar screen. I managed to close within 10 kilometers of one light. But from that moment on, I was unable to get closer. End quote. Sounds familiar because we have heard of them flanking planes. We've heard of them being able to rapidly accelerate beyond them. Therefore, like what they said, keeping out of range. Yes. And like strange force fields like they even in Skinwalker, they talked about that some of the weird anomalies were happening up in the sky like there was a force field up there. Mm -hmm. So it really does kind of make you wonder, is there some kind of force field that's keeping our aircraft away from, you know, being able to go forward or basically they're moving in time together, but it's unable to make it accelerate anything past that, which really speaks to a level of A, intelligence, and B, technology that our world has never even thought of seeing. And it really does kind of strike some crazy kind of fear happening. And, you know, 21 UFOs across the country of Brazil. Now, I will say without looking at a map because I'm terrible at geography, uh-huh. That seems like a lot of UFOs that are just zipping across the sky across the country. And I don't know exactly how big Brazil is, but I'm going to say that still, that's a lot. That is a lot that there is really happening there. And six jet fighters seems against 21 seems a little outnumbered. But, you know, we're Americans where we would scramble a whole damn squadron up there. And so I don't know. It's, it's very interesting to think that they only sent up six. Rough approximation. Risk six. That's very true. Uh, A rough approximation the size of Brazil, half of the United States approximately, uh, you know, kind of sort of roughly. So you get a little bit of an idea as the size. It's it's quite a bit of land. Mm hmm. But that didn't, to your point about the the danger of what they dispatched, it it doesn't end there. So one of those uh, pilots during their press conference goes on to say, quote, I was warned by ground control. There were several contacts ahead of me, approximately 30 kilometers away. I was also warned that contacts were approaching from behind and they came on until they were three kilometers behind me. I had to dive. And as I did, the contacts started to climb. End quote. So back to that wow. idea you said of intelligence of those mm-hmm. UFOs, it is the 21. It is said that 13 of them broke off and formed different formations for, for actually accompanying, escorting, flanking, chasing the pilots. Again, I, I don't I don't really want to embed them with some sort of a 
of my own opinion as to what they were doing, because we don't know. We, we can only assume if he decided to dive and they decided to climb, well, it doesn't seem like they were trying to finish the pilots off. Let me put it that way. For no. whatever it's <laughs> worth, they were willing to disengage with the pilots. But they were also then willing to engage them in the first part, right? They, they chose to kind of pursue them and follow them. Uh, makes me think so, of those Nimitz incidences where they talk about the UFOs, you know, buzzing around pilots and all that. Right. And it also kind of makes me think of like war tactics that, you know, may, that we observe in our world as well. When sometimes you see this a lot in the movies and all that, uh, where you'll see a couple pilots try to buzz or try to scare another country's pilots. And it kind of makes me wonder if that's what these aliens were trying to do is they were trying to scare our pilots and saying, we have you outnumbered. We will shoot you down before you have a chance to shoot us down. Don't do this. Mm. And just kind of asserting dominance. And when the pilot ended up saying, you know, what? I'm going to dive and they ended up climbing. It was a disengage of saying, okay, you chose the right way. We're not going to hurt you. So, but it really also brings into question, are these the same group of aliens that attack the 400 people? If yes. they aren't, who are these people? Who are these ones? And why are there so many? Uh, there's way too many questions with this case. Holy crap. <laughs> well, and one thing I'm just going to throw it out there for the sake of it. You're saying aliens. I'm not saying mm -hmm. they're not aliens, but we don't even know that they're aliens. All we know is that we don't yes. know what they are. That's that's all I can say for what it's worth, because, again, it doesn't it doesn't fit the mold that we're used to talking of. So we, we talked about this little encounter that happened 11 years in the future of, of the Chupa Chupa incident. I apologize mm -hmm. to have a little out of order, but it's how it came across in the MUFON notes. They wanted to bring that up because of the continued violence or the continued boldness even of these craft. So, so mm -hmm. back to uh, 1977 again, we heard from a doctor who treated over 40 people with burns to their body of those. So let me let me spend a second to clarify. So we were working with limited notes, right? We've got only some of these documents released. And because only some, MUFON and the crew did not have all of the incidents of who got wounded when. Of right. the documents we can see, a couple dozen pages, so somewhere around 100 or so, they were able to see from that batch that 400 people were said to have been hit by the light, uh, but 40 were wounded. And of those 40, two were listed as dying as a result of it, which is, uh, again, I can't think of a single case in the United States where they say someone has died from a UFO attack. Just Do we know um, uh, how those two people potentially were dying or what they were dying from? The best answer I can give you there, Pagan, is the document alludes that the deaths were a result of burns, but it's a little hit and miss. We'll have this document in the notes for people to go through if they would so choose. It's a good many pages long, 58 pages long, and a lot of this document, ooh, it's looking like a good 25 or more of those pages, are actually just time-stamped sighting reports. And I'd like to read one out here because... This one comes from Jose uh, Jorge de Santos. Hopefully I'm saying this right. Mm -hmm. I apologize. I, I speak Russian better than I do Portuguese, so apologies. He said he was in his house when a beam of light penetrated the roof 
actually a beam of light shooting through the roof and hit him in the neck. Thinking it was a bat, he hit out with his hands uh, to frighten the animal. But what he felt was intense heat and numbness on the right side of his neck. At that point, he screamed out for help. And that tends to be a recurring theme here. This light through the roof is, again, something I'm not used to, Peg, and I don't hear those too often in the U.S. We've heard abduction stories where aliens might try and, like, hoist someone out a window, or at least that's what's become very, mm-hmm. very popularized in our pop culture. I, uh, I mean, the fact that the beams were so pinpoint accurate as well. <laughs> Very pinpoint accurate, and it's just, it's bizarre. It's really bizarre. It's like, okay, first of all, you have to ask the question of, how did they know where the person was in the house if they couldn't see them? And to have that just instant light just come straight through your house, and, you know, it was hot and numbing. And in those regards, it kind of really makes you wonder, was there damage to the house as well? Which I, I don't... I'm presuming there probably was, but uh, the reports, like we've said, are very hit and miss. We don't officially know everything with them because this is just reports that we're getting kind of passed through, passed through, passed through so many different individuals. So it, it there's a lot there that just really, again, brings a lot of questions that we just don't have answers to. Indeed. And as folks will see when they start reading some of these reports, there are Kind of, there, there are areas that the actual author translating them will say the page was just too faded to read the rest of this story. DeSantos's story actually had some of that going on in it where um, it was just, again, you couldn't, the author couldn't see it all. So mm-hmm. it does add more confusion to it, for sure. Though, again, the light through the ceiling continues. Uh, in this case, we have a 25-year-old saying she was in the kitchen of her house with her sister reading a book when she saw a light coming through the roof, badly frightening her. She was immediately attended to by military doctors. I mean, all I can say is it doesn't talk about the roof. It doesn't show, it doesn't even say if she got hurt. But what it does say is that it was significant enough to have a military doctor examine her. And and I, I, I can't speak for all of our listeners out there. I can't speak for all of humanity, of course. I will say, though, if a light beamed into my house, I admit I don't think I would run out to the doctor to have them examine me because that we've talked about this before. That's a Mm -hmm. lot of work. I would that is a lot of work. <laughs> what startles me on a human level about UFOs and such, when we talk about discounting, dis, you know, people disbelieving and all that sort of stuff, I always like to go back to the bureaucracy and say, yeah, okay, but you just don't go down to the police station or the hospital and hang out. Like, that's, that's not a thing most of us do. So if you're sitting in your house and you'd see this weird light, again, there's a lot of human effort that goes into, that was really weird, weird enough for me to seek out military doctors for aid. Right. They, I think that there's probably more to that story than is actually written there. But ultimately, there is a lot that it really, there's too much to break down in just that one little section that we just don't have access to. And there, like you're saying, there is that real human thing of saying, hmm, there's a light coming from somewhere. Where is that coming from? Kind of freak out a little moment, thinking that you might have some roof damage or something. And then the next thing you know, you're being attended to by military doctors or you're seeking out assistance from military doctors. That's quite a leap. Quite a leap. 
And I don't also want to speak to Brazil because I, I, I don't I'm not familiar enough, especially in the 70s, with how their healthcare system at the time was set up. You know, I, I don't know if the idea of military doctors was more common in the United States. At least I draw the para or the um, uh, I guess not parallel here. I'll say the opposite of in the United States. We have a big difference between our civilian doctors and military, right? You don't just wander up to a base seeking aid from a military doctor here. And I I feel like this speaks to some of the significance of what was going on, because time and time again, military doctors being involved comes up. And I actually have one more uh, here that I'm only I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this, but an ex-military policeman, a, a resident of Colaris, said he did not believe, did not want to believe what people were saying about the UFOs. Uh, was going into his backyard one night and noticed that everything was lit up in a bluish light. He feels a ray of light touch him. And at that point, he feels partially paralyzed. He kept calling to his wife without awakening her, giving the impression he had something stuck in his throat. Uh, this, this seems to time and time again happen. The light touching people, paralysis and or burns, then this appearance of puncture marks, some of them knowing it in the moment. And that's what actually leads to that name again of sucker sucker, chupa chupa. People were said to actually be kind of yelling that at these crafts at times, trying to scare them off. Let's again not discount that massive human element where there was so much trauma in what was going on that mayors of these villages and towns were reaching out to the military to intervene. That's a Mm -hmm. lot of effort, meaning someone or a large swath of people were so upset and frightened by this situation. It was, dare I say, so real that they had to get kind of top brass involved and that they gave it a well the later event they gave a tv uh conference to yeah i gotta say i i I think on a a disclosure note i like that brazil was so open about this Uh, but when your own citizens are getting attacked how how can you not be right absolutely absolutely it's it's a really terrifying case to think about and every different way that this has gone on. And there's so many other similarities to other cases. So it really does kind of call into question other UFO cases in comparison to this, because we have Skinwalker with the the blue lights that attack the dogs and all the lights in the sky. And then we have other cases like, I believe it's the Bennington, no, Bridgewater. Whichever triangle, I can't remember officially. (laughs) I mix them up all the time. I apologize. Um, But one of the triangles, there was a report of a man who was outside watching this ball of light go around in his backyard. And he's shouting at his wife and his wife can't hear him. I think that was Bridgewater. I think that was Bridgewater. Yeah. And so we have other cases similar to this that have a lot of these other elements to them. But this by far is probably the most violent I think so. And that I, I I can see why this was so connected to Skinwalker. Again, I, mm-hmm. I'm not the one that put that connection together. I actually want to say that this Chupa Chupa case makes an appearance in uh, the Hunt for the Skinwalker book, the one that I'm not a recommender of because of its um fairy telling kind of sort of thing in there but uh it it got me onto it enough to look it up and find that there was a good deal of evidence maybe again not super accessible to us in the in in america not speaking the language but just enough that there is a concern and i think questions should be asked why the difference in the way crafts deal with us up north versus down south and 
a question that I got from you a, about five minutes back. You had asked, how do these craft know where people are in the homes? That, to me, also brings out something different. Because in our cases where we've talked about Betty and Barney Hill being abducted, here they <laughs> are driving in the middle of the night. They see something in the sky. They kind of engage it, if you will. Like, it is chasing them, yes. They get out, they look at it, uh, and make eye contact with the people in the craft. In this mm -hmm. case, though, big difference. Not driving around, they're in their homes, or they're returning home, or it's, I, I, it feels targeted, right? Like It does. It's in their house. That's... That's yeah. aggressive. It's incredibly aggressive. And like you were saying earlier with the woman who is sitting at her kitchen table reading a book. When I read a book, I, I'm kind of oblivious to the world around me. So if there was an alien that was trying to, you know, knock at my door, just buzzing around my house, I probably wouldn't notice. And again, I say alien is interchangeable. But, um, you know, at that point, it really does kind of go, what made them stop, target this woman who was in her kitchen reading a book? She wasn't a threat to them. She she wasn't doing anything. It, was it a scientific experts or experience for them? Like, I, there's so many questions that again we just don't have the answers to, and we're not going to have the answers to. And it's just I don't know. It's kind of it, scientifically and intellectually for me, it's a little bit frustrating because I want the answers. I want to go dive deep into finding them, but there's just not documentation that's available for me to do that. And indeed, the MUFON document talks about trying to track down the pilots that have had experiences with these crafts. And with many of them having passed on due to age and other such ailments, uh, it made it hard. I, I, the, the author of this post did talk about how he himself had been down to Brazil uh, many a time to actually do their best to speak with folks. So it sounds like boots on the ground as best as MUFON could do. Uh, mm -hmm. But I will add, I also have learned that those deaths we mentioned, this article does say they could not firsthand substantiate that sort of stuff. They, they, they've they heard the stories of the deaths, but back to your point, Pagan, uh, just for clarity's sake, cannot confirm them. Those were not part of those pages released. So I, I don't know. I, I sit there going as a, as, a, as a UFO believer, but still as like a skeptic as to what's really happening and what's going on, how much of it's happening, what's real, what's not. I, I sit here going, holy crap, these are still a ton of reports that share a lot of similarities. One thing I'll call out is if you're someone that goes and opens up this document, there are there is a variety of lights that hit people. And even if you choose to scroll through those pages, you're going to see patterns because what the author did was highlight any mention of the word light. And they color-coded it. So if you're scrolling through there and you see red text in that document, that is tied to a red light. If you see blue, blue light, yellow, yellow, you get the drift here. The point I'm making is it's interesting that the colors, that there's so many, but there is a repetition to it. There's a lot of reddish-yellow light mentioned. There's a lot of blue light mentioned. And I would be curious, and I admit to have not have not done this yet, I'm curious to know if the different colors may correlate to different activity. M my speculation being like, I'm seeing mention here of blue light and then paralysis. So is that a thing? I can only speculate at this point. Mm -hmm. That is definitely one of those things that really does kind of go, huh? And then it really kind of also makes you think, 
was this a targeted attack saying, okay, X, Y, and Z of these 21 UFOs or however many UFOs there were that um, during these attacks, you were going to go and do this color light to do this specific symptom. And it really starts to look in that regard. Maybe this really was targeted. You know, we do military maneuvers in the United States, similar to that, where there's task force that do specific types of things. So I don't know. It's disturbing on a lot of levels to think that, you know, something obviously was trying to attack us to do this and could do it in such a way that we never had to leave our homes. And it's just a really scary thing to think about. But it's also, in the same sense, a fascinating thing to think about because we don't know what all of this was about and we can't explain it. Agreed. I very much agree. So for short as this investigation was, where they had about these six six uh, officers go down to, to do this investigation, six Brazilian Air Force officers, spoke to what we say over uh, over 400 or so people, 400 accounts. Th- I'm seeing other th- numbers that say 300 cases. But what they walked away with was, again, 500-page report, including video evidence, including photos that they themselves took, because some of these investigators that the Brazilian Air Force sent down there actually saw craft in their investigation. They only stayed for a short time before the investigation got called off. But in that time, a lot was seen. And we sit here kind of puzzled at the end of this going, what next? Where where can we go from there? It should be said that the people have tried to petition to have more of this uh, released. According to this MUFON document, about 36,000 people at one point. I'm guessing this is closer to the 2000s. They don't date it, but it's in line with that 2005 release sort of thing. But 36,000 people were trying to get these released. They had petitioned the government for it. And uh, the Brazilian government's willingness to talk about it gives it a little more credibility to me. The fact that they were willing to scramble jets. And one other thing that I'd like to add is a lot of this takes place near water. Because one of these villages, Colaris, is an island village. You know, it's a village out there off the coast. So when we talk about USOs or unidentified submersible objects... Mm-hmm. That goes back to what we we're kind of hearing again, Nimitz and all of that, lights flying around, buzzing past pilots, dipping under the water, potentially having a water base. I don't know. I, I, I just I've got my hands up in the air going, what does this mean? What? <laughs> where do we go with this story? And I am unfortunately a little sad to say, Pagan, I, I think this is the end. I, I don't I do know that I can give people more. I'd love to give everyone out there a massive report and tell you guys this is what was going on. Pagan and I were able to pull up all these super substantial records, but this one's out of our hands. And frankly, I, this, this is our first uh, case outside of the U.S., so uh, it kind mm-hmm. of a little outside of our, our linguistic jurisdiction and all that. It's it really though. is. It does. It spooks me as well. And it has a lot of other correlations to other outside places, such as the Hoya Bacha Forest in Romania, who has these balls of light that just kind of appear and there's strange illnesses and burns and scratches and stuff that happens in the same area. So 
that will probably be another place that we look into in the future. But as of right now, I'm kind of with you on this. I feel like this case is as close to as closed as we're probably going to get because there's just no other sources of information for us. And it will, you know, obviously never truly be closed because we don't have all the answers uh, to all of our questions. And we probably never will. That's so, true. That's true. I don't know. Short of us going to Brazil and investigating ourselves, but at the same time, it's pandemic, all that crazy stuff. And that's just not a feasible thing. And I'd like to know more, but I just don't think we'll get there. I would agree. I will say uh, we're going to get back to our um, like month-long investigations. I hope everyone out there has really, really enjoyed the Skinwalker series. If you have any <laughs> feedback on that at all, please, please, please feel free to get in touch. Our links are in the episode description, the show notes. You can find it there. Here's your tease. We will be regrouping uh, next Monday. We're going to have a new podcast up on the feed for you guys. That is our introduction to the Mothman. We are going to be looking into my personal favorite cryptid, the one that got me started on it all, and bigger than that, the one that got me into high strangeness. The correlation here, the reason we wanted to talk about Chupa Chupas in between is that having read The Mothman Prophecies by John Keel, he mentions actinic rays, which people see around these UFO sightings, where they will wake up with conjunctivitis the next day. Their eyes have been exposed to, um, you know, when you go to the beach, right? They say, wear your sunglasses because the reflectivity of the water, you could actually really hurt your eyes. You can some, sometimes sunburn your eyeballs. That's what yep. was happening. That's what Keel was saying was going on, is people would have this encounter, and then their eyes are kind of swelled or welted shut over the next couple days. That's the comparison in here folks this is this weird little line uh that i'm trying to we're trying to like bring it out there have been dangerous encounters with ufos but we have lacking information so i hope you will all join us for that the first episode is going to be like we did for skinwalker it's going to be us speculating a lot it's going to be talking about our history with the case setting it up briefly and just like you'd run into a friend at the pub and they're giving you a lowdown on the story but after that we'll be coming back together with more hard fact evidence as best as we can track it down so if you are out there and you love the mothman maybe you're someone that already has a collection of mothman evidence in a text file or whatever let, let get in touch we did uh mutual investigative stuff last time and we want to get back mm -hmm. to that even more so if you're on your computer or if you've got your phone in hand open up the facebook app or type in your browser fb.com forward slash chaos and shadow you will find us there you'll find our, our page and our group like the page get in the group let's get chatting <laughs> Join us for this 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 massive investigation. We will probably be doing, I would assume, about four or so episodes on on the Mothman. At least, at, at least, very least, as it ties into Hellier, as it ties into Skinwalker, as it ties into many many more cases. And we've got quite a few friends out there that have uh, done some serious Mothman investigative work. So we're going to try to get a couple of them involved in it. Again, a huge thank you to all of our listeners. Without you, yes. couldn't make it happen. And finally, Peg, I'm going to leave with one last thing. If you want to make our, our investigations go deeper, consider becoming a member, chaosandshadow.com. Click on that link. If you'd like to subscribe, that money will help us uh, stay full-time investigators and let us dive into some crazier programs for getting to the, the meat of it all. 
Pegan, thank you for joining me this week. This has been a wonderful little tease of a topic that I doubt many folks are aware of. And yes, that it was just such a wonderful case to talk about with you. It's a wonderful thing that I'm looking forward to the Mothman stuff on. And if you guys haven't already been over to the blog, you totally need to. Uh, we, As we mentioned at the start of this, we did an earlier recording talking um, about our interview with Storm Fairy Wolf. Storm uh, was doing some other stuff and couldn't get in with an audio format. So we did a written interview with him, which was really cool. And it was the first one we've ever done. So please go over to the blog. Check it out. That's chaosandshadow.com forward slash news. You can find it right there. It's a wonderful storm is so awesome. I've been a huge fan of him for quite some time, and I'm very much looking forward to introducing all of you to him as well. And I hope that you guys also check out his books as well. He's a great writer. That's right, everyone. Get your cult on chaosandshadow.com, and we will talk to you all next week. Stay safe out there, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.